morning, Open Church family. We're so glad you could join us this morning. It's been a while since we've met together and we're missing you all a lot, but we look forward to a new season soon, hopefully where we'll be able to be together face to face back at our church. Um, and we'll be in touch soon about when that is going to happen. But today we have a very special man of God who's been a blessing to open church in many different ways. His name is Peter Prothero. He's the senior pastor and leader of Equippers Church in the UK, and he will be ministering today. But before we go into the message, we'll be having a bit of time in worship. And I just wanted to share a scripture to encourage you this morning from Psalms chapter 9. It says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you, and I'll sing praise to your name, O Most High. The Lord reigns forever. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who fear you. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion and proclaim among the nations what he has done. Let's lift up his name together this morning and give him all the glory and honor because whatever happens in the world around us, whatever is happening in your individual lives, we know that God sits enthroned as king above it all. Let's give him the worship that he deserves.
If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of James, James chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 10, and there's a wonderful phrase in here that I'm going to pick up on. My brethren, that's you and me, we're the brethren, the brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. You know, whenever I read that, I, I want to say, no, thank you. You know, I, wanna, I would like a different example, please. Give me an example of prosperity and happiness and joy. And James kind of faces reality here. And he says, look at the prophets who are an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Everyone heard of Job? Okay. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I want you to notice that phrase. You have seen the end intended by the Lord. My message today is God's intended end. God's intended end. How many of you know 
that many times in life we'll make a decision and we'll start to do something because we have a specific objective in mind. We have an intended end. So about 18 months ago, I started to work out with Neil because I had an intended end to get fit. Because basically I was preaching in Auckland one Sunday and I, ba- I nearly died of a heart attack. I, just, I was preaching and, and speaking so fast that my body couldn't keep up with my mind. And I just ran out of breath and I just had to say to the congregation, take a moment while I catch up here. And I was going, so, I was going like that. And everyone said, man, we thought you were going to die on stage today. And I, I thought, that's a signal. I need to do something about this. And now I can preach and I don't run out of breath. It's really good. I'm so much better. There's an intended end. Maybe you've been on a diet because you decided, I want to lose weight. And so you have an intended end. You actually suffer not eating the food you enjoy because of the intended end. You have a specific objective in mind. And keeping that objective in mind, you now embrace certain disciplines, you say no to certain things, because by saying no now, you're going to get a yes later. Got that? And so God has an intended end for every single one of us. And if we miss God's intended end, we might be saying yes to the wrong things in the meantime. And if you say yes to the wrong things, you can miss out on the blessing of the intended end. And so that's why James says here, you've got to take the prophets as an example. There was suffering and patience in their life, but that's because they saw the intended end. They endured the suffering just as Jesus, who in Philippians chapter 2, he endured the cross. He embraced the cross. He didn't just embrace humanity. He didn't just embrace servanthood. He embraced obedience to the death of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 said, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus saw the intended end. And he said, I'll embrace the pain of the cross now because it means people will come into the kingdom later. Do you get that? There is an intended end for your life that God has. And if you don't see that, if you don't embrace that, you'll be making all kinds of decisions in life right now which might not take you to your intended end. Do you get that? I need three people to help me illustrate something. If you can run up right now. Well done. Two more. You won't have to do anything. You won't have to do anything. You'll just have to stand here. Is that okay? Well done, Ruth. You stand on this side over here. You stand in the middle. You stand in this side over here. I want you to think of this space here as an epoch of time and this space here as an epoch of time. Okay? Is everyone with me? Okay. Take a look. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. This will all become clear. Just relax, listen, don't tune out. It's going to be important. Galatians chapter 1. This is Paul speaking. He says, who gave himself, he's talking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, 
that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's this age here, this epoch of time, this age, and it's called in the Bible this present evil age. Over here, we have another epoch of time, and it's called the age to come. The age to come. In fact, if you listen to Jesus and you listen to the New Testament writers, they will talk about this age and the age to come. So Jesus said, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's neither forgiveness in this age nor in that to come. Jesus understood it that way. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, here's what it says. Paul is talking about unbelievers. And he says in verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So not only is there an age here that is this present evil age, but there is a God of this age. And it is the devil. So in this age, in this period, the devil reigns. He's called the God of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul says... That's what's going on here. And he blinds minds. So ever since the fall of Adam, that's where it all began, at the fall of Adam, right up until the new age breaks in, the devil has been reigning. That's why the devil could tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and say to him, all these kingdoms of the world I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus didn't turn around to him and said, you have no right to do that. Because he's the God of this age. Because Adam surrendered the position of authority that he had during this age to an enemy, to Satan, to the opposer. And so he's the God of this age who blinds the minds of people. And then it says this in Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus talking. It's all in the context of the rich young ruler. And, and Peter turns around and uh, he says, well, we've made sacrifices. We've left all and followed you. This is Mark 10, 28. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Got that? <clears throat> Houses and brothers and sisters uh, and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Did you see the way he threw that in? Right at the end there. And in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus is saying, you may have made sacrifices for me in the kingdom, but I want to tell you, you're going to get a hundred times now, and there's a payoff later in this age, eternal life. Got that? So here's what happened. Jesus comes into this age before the end of the age. He comes right in, and with Jesus, he begins to declare the future now. He begins to declare the kingdom of God, the age to come, is as close as your hand. Because it comes with the king, 
Wherever the king is, the presence of the future is now. Did you catch that? When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the God of this age. He went back to heaven and he poured out the Holy Spirit. And so right now, in this present evil age, we are moving towards the eternal age. We're moving towards that age when Jesus comes again. And when Jesus comes right here the second time, he's going to inaugurate that next epoch of time, that next age, that eternal life age. But here's the thing. Right now, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is able to take everything about the future here and bring it here. So here, there is eternal life. Here, there is peace. Here, there is an earth in which dwells righteousness. Here, there's an earth where the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Here dwells righteousness. Here is peace. Here is joy. Here is healing. Here is resurrection. Got that? That's all in the age to come. But Hebrews chapter 6 says this, we get to taste the powers of the age of the cut to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. So a church that is filled with the power of God, filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, brings the kingdom of the future now, here, in this present age. You can sit down now, thank you. Isn't that exciting? That is why Paul, in his last letter to Timothy, he says to him, he says these words, lay hold of eternal life. Well, you say, well, I don't quite get that. If, if we've received Jesus, don't we have eternal life? Yes, he who has the Son has life. But what Paul is really saying is, grab as much of the future and pull it into the present now. Lay hold of eternal life. Lay hold of the future and pull it into the present. It's one of the reasons why we believe in praying for the sick. We believe that we can pull the future into the present. And of course, you never get the fullness right now. Why? Because we taste the powers of the age to come. We don't have the full meal, but we have an aperitif. We get the starter. We get the beginning that enables us to know what the future is going to be like. And we grab as much of the future in the power of the Holy Spirit and we pull it into the presence and we say, you no longer have to live subject to the God of this age. Paul said this to the Galatian church. He said, he's delivered us. And the deliverance is not a physical deliverance. The deliverance is a deliverance from your way of thinking. A deliverance from the power of the enemy over your mind, over your heart, over your body. Jesus has delivered you from all of that. So that you could live in freedom. And that's why Galatians says, uh, Ephesians chapter, sorry, Galatians chapter 5 says that we're to develop the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the future now. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. The Holy Spirit is literally depositing in your life the future right now. 
And you see, when the, the world looks at us during this present evil age, what they're really seeing is what the community of the future looks like now. They're seeing, wow, this is what it's like to live in harmony. This is what it's like to live in peace. This is what it's like where righteousness fills the earth. This is what it's like when God is present in people. That's why you and I, we need to be a testimony to the world. A testimony to what it means to live under the lordship and kingship of Jesus. And everything that takes away from that, we've got to learn to put it to death. We've got to learn to cut it out of our lives. We've got to learn to say no to those kinds of things. <clears throat> I love the fact that God has an intended end. Let me, let me give you a couple more things that, because there's a lot of theological confusion out there. <clears throat> there's a whole number of guys I could name, but my love and patience forbids me from doing that. But let me say a couple of things. Many people in desiring to declare the kingship of Jesus, the sovereignty of God, go too far. And they say that God ordains everything. He controls everything. Not one thing happens without God being behind it. And if you're suffering and if you've had loss in your life and if you've had pain in your life, that's a bit of a hard pill to swallow. And so I, I want to sort of nuance that teaching slightly this morning, and I, I want to help you see it differently. When the Bible says God has an intended end, that is speaking about God's ultimate objectives. God has an ultimate objective. The objective that for God is that there's going to be a world in which dwells righteousness and peace. There's going to be a world filled with that. His objective is in Revelation chapter 22. The kingdom of God, the, the presence of God, the temple of God, the tabernacle of God is with men. God is coming down to dwell with us here on earth. It is not that we are going to heaven. And please can I say, God didn't save you in order for you to go to heaven. He saved you in order for you to bring heaven to earth. That's why he saved you. You see, see the, the thing that inaugurates that next age is the resurrection. It's the resurrection. You're not going to float around on clouds with angels' wings in, as singing funny songs. There's going to be a resurrection. And you're going to be dwelling in a body. A body that knows no corruption, that knows no sin. A body that's never going to die. It's going to be like the resurrection body of Jesus. That's why Paul says, if you have Jesus, you're already a new creation. Even before you've entered the new creation, you are the new creation in spirit. But we're waiting for the resurrection of the body. My spirit has been raised already. It's renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. My mind is being renewed and my body is going to experience a transformation one day in the new age. And don't get worried about that term. That's our term, not their term. So God has a strategic objective, a goal that he's moving towards, and it's not negotiable. It's not negotiable. That's where he's totally sovereign, and he made a sovereign decision. And when you got saved, God predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. The Bible, by the way, never says he predestined you to be saved. 
That is not a biblical term. That is a theological term that's come up with Calvinists. Calvinism, but that's not a biblical term. The biblical term is he's predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, when God saved people, when he looked into the future and he saw people who would respond and he said, I need to make a decision what to do with them. And he could have made all kinds of decisions. He could have said, why don't we make them servants like angels? And they can serve me just like the angels do. Because they're fallen. And they've been redeemed. And God said, no, that's not a good enough plan. I don't like that plan because they bear my image. I know what I'm going to do. When they respond, I'm going to preordain that they're going to become like Jesus. God made that decision right at the beginning before anything happened. In other words, he didn't predestine who would get saved. He predestined what he would do with those who got saved. It is all about your destiny as a believer. It is an intended end that you will be like Jesus. And everything you do in your life that takes you away from being like Jesus, he's going to allow things to come into your life to get you back on track, even if that means you have to suffer, because he has an intended end that's better than the suffering you're going through now. Do you get that? This is good stuff, isn't it? So God has this strategic objective it's fixed it's fixed but he also has contingent goals contingent means that you can influence how you get to where he wants to get you in other words God is like a master chess player he has an intended goal he's going to win the game But you can take 50,000 different moves, if you like, and he'll outsmart you every time. And so think about this, the children of Israel, just how contingent God is in the Bible. Listen to what I'm saying. The children of Israel are going to come into the inheritance that God defined. And if you read Joshua chapter 1, it's very clearly defined. The boundary of the Euphrates, the boundary of the Mediterranean, where the northern border is, where the southern border is. Everything is clearly defined by God as the inheritance he wants to give them. But along the journey, two and a half tribes say, you know what, we rather like the land here. And Moses is a bit upset. He said, what do you mean you, you like the land here? God's got a promise and a, a land for us the other side of the Jordan. They said, yeah, yeah, we know that, but we like it here. We like it here on the east side of the Jordan. And we would like to have an inheritance here. Is that okay? And Moses is really upset. And he goes to God and he says, God, did you hear what they said? What are you going to do about it? And God says, give them the land. And Moses goes, What? 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 But, but, but you define the promise, you define the land, and you're going to give it to them? Yeah, the only condition is this. They have to cross over and fight with their brothers. If they're willing to do that, I'm willing to give them the land. That is a contingent goal that does not affect the ultimate objective, which is inheriting the land. Oh... For every Calvinist in the room, I'll pray for you later. 
The journey out of Egypt into Canaan was an 11-day journey. But they didn't believe the word of the Lord. So God said, instead of it being 11 days, it's now going to be 40 years. He delayed the fulfillment of the promise for an entire generation. That was a contingent goal that did not ultimately affect the objective, but it allowed God to deal with their unbelief. Do you get that? I don't want to be part of a generation that delays what God wants to do because of my stubbornness and unbelief. I want to be part of a people of faith who grab hold of the future now and say, God, we want to be in a place of faith. We want to be in a place of obedience. We want to be in a place of blessing. God didn't want a temple. David had in his heart to build a temple and... Nathan the prophet thought, that's a good idea. And God said, no, it isn't. I never asked for a temple. I never wanted a temple. I've lived in a tent and I've journeyed with my people. And he said, go tell David, I'm going to build him a house. He wants to build me a house. I'm going to build him a house. And then at the end he says, yeah, if he wants a temple, okay. And God lets him do the temple. It was never his idea. He accommodated it. It was a contingency because God's ultimate goal was not about buildings and tabernacles and temples and divisions of holy and holies. It is that God will dwell with his people and that one day in John chapter 4, God is looking for worshippers, not on this mountain, not on this temple, but people who will worship him in spirit and truth. That was the objective. That was the goal. And because God had that objective, nothing in the meantime could remove it. So God, in a contingent way, allowed them to have what they wanted. Do you get this? So I'll give you another example. God didn't want them to have kings. In fact, when Samuel went to God and said, the people have asked for a king, he said, don't worry. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. What do you mean they want a king? They've got a king. But they couldn't see it. They wanted to be like the other nations. So God made a contingent decision. He allowed them to have what they wanted. And then he raised up David, king number two. How many of you know sometimes number two ends up being number one? Have you discovered that yet? That's great if you're the second child. Like me. That's great if you didn't succeed and you weren't number one in the past. God can make a number two a number one. And that's what he did with David. And David became the prototype of the real king, the real Messiah, the real one in the future, which is why Jesus is always called the son of David. What do you mean he's his son, as in descended from? He's the son of David. It's contingency. God allows for our choices. And sometimes, just like the children of Israel, we make bad choices. We stuff up. Sometimes we do things out of fear. Sometimes we do things out of jealousy. Sometimes we do things out of insecurity. Sometimes we do things out of compromise. Sometimes we do things out of rebellion. 
It doesn't matter what any of those things are. God has an intended end for you. And it's a good end. It's a blessed end. It's a fruitful end. And so he's got a prophet like Jonah who's meant to be his mouthpiece and he gives him a message for Nineveh and Jonah says, I am not doing that. And he rebels and he runs away and God says, you think you're going to get away from me? You think you're going to run from me? You know who I am? And he says, God prepared a wind and then he got thrown into the sea and then God prepared a fish. And he got swallowed by a big fish. And then the fish vomited him out on the land. And then, and then Jonah is still not happy when he preaches and everyone repents. I knew that was going to happen. I knew you're a gracious God. Jonah was upset because he knew God would forgive them. And he wanted, him to, he wanted God to judge them. And all through that story, you see God's contingency because he's dealing with Jonah's rebellion and his heart. And he... He wants him to see that he's a merciful God. And I want to say to you, do you understand that God has an intended end for you? And even if you stuff up, God is going to fix a fix to fix you. And if you get out of that fix, he'll fix another fix to fix you till you're fixed. What does it say here in the book of James? It says this. They're an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the intended end by the Lord. How many of you know, have you ever read the end of Job? Yeah, the end. He gets double everything. Like he's already wealthy in the beginning. Now he's double what he has. Do you get that? It's like the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the former end. Not only that, he lived long enough to see four generations of children. So he not only saw his new children grow up and become adults, he saw their children and he saw their children. And you see, you can focus on the suffering and the pain and the difficulty that you're going through right now, or you can focus on the intended end. And that story is there to tell you that God is compassionate and merciful. He's compassionate and merciful. Let me read to you Psalm 103, and then we're going to close soon. I've got six minutes. Here's, here's what it says in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Do you know, everything in your life that the devil brings into your life is to challenge the view that God is good. And to challenge the view that God is not great. And it's possible for you to be so occupied with your pain that you go through that you begin to doubt the goodness of God. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. But God wants you to hold on to an understanding of his goodness and to endure and to persevere. Just to keep pushing through because there's an intended end. You know the word in the Greek for intended end? In, in some translations, it doesn't have the word intended. The translators have supplied it, and I like it. I think it's a very, very good choice. The word end there is telos. It literally means 
the ultimate objective. God's got an ultimate objective. And it may mean that along the way, by the way, if you're Joshua and Caleb and you've just been consigned to 40 years in the wilderness and you've been men of faith, isn't that irritating? Isn't that, you didn't do anything. You didn't have unbelief. You had a different spirit. But you know what the Bible says? At the age of 80, 40 years longer, they had the strength of men of 40. In other other words, God preserved them. God kept them because they had a different spirit. I want to say to you that the unbelief of your parents or the unbelief of your spouse or the unbelief of anybody around you who consigns you to a period where you're doing something you don't want to do, God is going to keep you until he gets them out of the way or changes their heart. He can do it. He is abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will his anger Will he keep his anger forever? He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. (coughs) For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Don't you like it that God knows geography? I love this scripture. I love this scripture. I remember the first time when I I said to the Holy Spirit, why didn't you say as far as the north is from the south? And then you look at a map and here's the difficulty. When you look at the north and the south, you can measure the distance between the North Pole and the South Pole. But I've discovered when you travel east, it doesn't matter how many times you go around the earth, you are always traveling east. And if you travel west, It doesn't matter how many times you go around the earth. You are always traveling west. There's never a line you cross. It's an immeasurable distance. It's infinity. It's eternal. He separated you from your sins. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. In other words, God knows your limitations. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it is. No temptation has overtaken a man, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And with the temptation, he will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He knows your frame. He remembers your dust. You're not going through anything you and God together can't handle. I want you to hear that this morning. You're not going through anything that you and God together can't handle. And I want you to understand there's an intended end. Whatever you're going through, you're not, this is not for the rest of your life. This doesn't define who you are. This is a season. This is a season and every season changes. And there's people in this room this morning and I want to tell you, you're about to come into a change of season. You're about to come. The young lady sitting behind you, Lucy, you're about to come into a new season. You're about to come. God is about to draw a line under some of the things that have been going on in your life, some of the misunderstandings and the misjudgments of other people. God is about to draw a line under those things and a vindication is coming to you, young lady. 
a vindication from the Lord because you've endured, because you held out, because you were faithful. A new season is going to come and it's going to be a, a, a greater season of joy. It's going to be a greater season of blessing. Promises that you've been holding out for are going to be filled, fulfilled in the next season of your life. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to have a great testimony. There's an intended end, and it's a good end. It's a blessed end. It's an end that we can begin to pull on now, here, despite our circumstance, despite our situation, through the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weaknesses in Romans chapter 8. We can pull on the future now. We can say, God, I need that patience now. I need that endurance. I need that joy for what I'm going through because the devil's trying to rob me of that joy. Holy Spirit, I need you to produce that fruit in my life. And I'm going to persevere until it comes. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There's a moment. There's a moment. But God's intention is to bless. We trust that you've been encouraged, challenged, motivated by the message we've heard this morning. Um, And remember that God is in control. We will be starting up a new series next week. It's called Running with the Giants. It's about some of the great heroes we have in the Bible who showed courage and persistence and determination. There's so much good we can learn from them, but they were real men and women just like you and me. They had mistakes and shortcomings and failures as well. We want to learn from them so that we can run the race with perseverance and be encouraged by looking at their lives. We want to remind you this morning to like and subscribe us on our Facebook page and also on YouTube. And if you'd like to give tithes and offerings or receive prayer and counseling, we just encourage you to take note of the following slide that will be coming up on the screen just now. God bless you and have a wonderful week ahead.